this should be. It's not always guaranteed. Should be the last part of God's great and glorious gospel. First Peter chapter 2. Let's lift just a couple of verses again. Verses 9 and 10. Keep your Bible open. We have quite a bit we want to go through. But ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood and holy nation. A peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sense of your presence. Your presence makes the feast. Your anointing destroys the yoke. Now destroy the yoke over your people. Destroy the yoke over burdened hearts. Destroy the yoke over strained lives. Destroy the yoke over condemned Christians. Destroy the yoke, Father, of the sinner who has not yet come to saving faith and who is, Lord, still away from God. Destroy the yoke and, Lord, we ask you to set the prisoner free. We worship you and we exalt you. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify you. For there is no one like you. Jesus, you are loved in this house. You are loved among this people. We are unashamed to say it. We are unashamed to declare it. We are unashamed to tell of it. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Set each and every one of us in that secret place with yourself this evening. Take your own word. Speak to our hearts. Teach us, lead us, and guide us. Direct us in the way we should go and guide us with your eye. Lord, there's none like you. We could praise you and we could enter into this time of prayer all evening. For our hearts are rejoicing that you have come in your faithfulness. And you have come not to be one of our number, but to be the very fulfillment of our meeting. Now I take over and take charge of every heart over every opposing spirit and distracting thought in our lives and glorify your son. We ask it in his name for his glory. Amen. God's great and glorious gospel and this is part five if I'm counting right. Israel has been separated into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is called the house of Israel. The southern kingdom is called the house of Judah. Because of their sin, the northern kingdom, their deportments from the Assyrian army, they're carried back and forward and they're away by 721 BC, never to return as a nation again. And their capital city is Samaria 
It has been repopulated by others whom the Assyrians and other uh, empires would come in around that area and, and repopulate it. With like of Samaritans and, and other groupings like that. The southern kingdom of Judah is where Judah is where we get the name Jew from. And it goes captive about 120 years later into Babylon. And while in Babylon, there we have looked at it in, in detail. We can't go into it too much. But before we get into Babylon, we have Jeremiah's prophecy. While in Babylon, Daniel is reading Jeremiah. And the angel of, uh, 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 the, angel of the Lord comes and he is sent with a message on what's known as the 70 weeks of Daniel. Or the, the Jewish nation becomes known as the 70 weeks nation from where Christ would come from. And 49 or so thousand come out and they rebuild the walls, the temple. Jesus is born from there. And then he comes on to his own, his own received from not in Judea or, or, or those who are the remnant of Judah at that time. Israel has been scattered. They have went westward. They have been lost to themselves, Gentilized, heathenized, all those names you want to put on them. And Oh, they become so lost that no one knows who they are, not even themselves. The Lord says he'll hedge up their ways that they would not know themselves and they would come under different names and be absorbed in, as it were, uh, uh, to, to form then around different nations, especially in the West. Now, the gospel comes when Christ comes. The gospel of saving grace is to go around the world. And we have been reading Matthew 24 and verse 14 where Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world and to all the nations. And then the end shall come. And he's giving us an idea that the time of the end that we are living in is when the gospel has been preached around the world. And the gospel has been preached to all nations. And, and the Christian, uh, Christians have been born again as it were. Men and women have come forward for Christ. And he says, when this happens, this is a sign that the end would come. That Christ would return in power and glory. And he would catch us away, change us in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And that we would return to the earth with the Lord. And he would rule and reign for 1,000 years in his millennium kingdom. I want to show you something. Notice how we mentioned this northern kingdom, the house of Israel, and how that kingdom became known as Ephraim and Samaria became known as Joseph, the house of Israel. And between Israel and Judah, they were known throughout scripture as two sons, two sisters, two sticks, two kingdoms. They were known right throughout the scripture with two separate identities and two separate destinies. And whenever we looked at it, we looked at how Hosea was sent to the northern kingdom before they were carried away. Well, their final deportment in 721 BC. And Hosea goes and he preaches to them. And we're told that the Lord says, Hosea, take a wife unto yourself of the land of Hordom, of the children of Hordoms. And he, they were, the Lord was speaking of, of Gomer who would become his wife. And the parabolic uh, story in it is that Gomer is Yahweh or Jehovah. Or sorry, Hosea is Yahweh or Jehovah. And Gomer was the house of Israel. Gomer is a wife of Hordom. She is a, a woman of ill repute. And she becomes that way. She falls away from her husband. She starts going around with other men. And then she's, she's away from her husband. And Hosea goes back out to redeem her again. And the Lord says, that's what the house of Israel is like with me. And I will send forth hunters and fishers 
after all of Israel. All of them are, are, are then scattered later on, right down to AD 70, when we read of Titus coming and scattering those who were left who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus even said something that's very telltale in, uh, in the Gospels. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21 and verses 42 and 43, listen to what he says. Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Take note of the words, it is marvelous in our eyes. That word marvelous is the same word in the Greek New Testament that Peter uses from being that we are taken out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And the word here is that when they reject Christ, the gospel goes to the nations. The word Gentile is a, a poor word. It would take, take me a couple of weeks to do a study on it, but it's a poor word. Gentilized Israel are out there, but then there are, if you can call them Gentiles of nations also. Just the one for a better word. And they're all bunched in there. But the Lord sends the gospel out. And all the apostles, the early church and the apostle Paul, start going over to where the seven churches in Asia are, to Greece, to Italy. Paul desired to go to Spain. And of course, the early church came to Britain, not the church of Rome first. And the Celtic church was birthed and born in these isles of ours. Listen to what Jesus says after this. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The rejection of Christ, that he may die for our sin. The rejection of Christ, that he would bear away our sin in his own body on the tree. The rejection of Christ on the cross of Calvary is the cornerstone. He is the head and the chief, rejected by those in order that we may be brought in. And it is marvelous In our eyes, it's the Lord's doing. But listen to what the Lord says in the next verse, verse 43. Matthew 21, verse 43. Therefore I say unto you. He's speaking out of the Jewish leaders. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. He says, that which you had. You have rejected me will be taken off you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now, there's a little discrepancy here where people think it will be given to the church, bringing forth the fruits. But the word nation is not ecclesia, which is for church. It's the word ethnos. It means the other house that were scattered, so I will give it unto them. Peter writes to them, the strangers that were scattered. James writes to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And that is whom Peter writes to in Second Peter. Those who have obtained precious like faith. Like your faith and my faith. That we have obtained the same faith as the early apostles in Christ for our redemption and our salvation. Remember Hosea when he went way back in, this, uh, in, in the Old Testament. And he, and he brings the word of the Lord to the house of Israel. And the Lord says in Hosea 2 and verse 23. And I will sow her, that is the northern kingdom. Remember, I give you a picture in your mind of Ireland, north and south. It was like two kingdoms like that. Like two countries, two nations as it were. And now he's preaching to the northern kingdom being taken away. He says, and I will sow her, the northern kingdom, unto me in the earth. Notice that. And I will have mercy upon her, 
that had not obtained mercy. And I will say unto them which were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. Here Peter looks back and he delves into the Old Testament scriptures. And he pulls out this wonderful truth of God. And in our reading, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, he quotes it. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See how Peter is starting to pull out from the Old Testament. I know this is a bit of a Bible study also for you. But God's people, they're perishing for a lack of knowledge. Not realizing who they are. Not realizing who they are in their identity. Not realizing who they are in Christ. Not realizing who they are in the scriptures. Not realizing even the very things of redemption. Some of them. Listen to this. Micah the prophet. If you want to turn to Micah you can. If you want me to read it out that's fine. You can jot it down and read it when you go home if you want. But the prophet Micah was a contemporary. Crossing over time scales with uh, Hosea and with Amos who went and preached to the northern house also. And notice what he says in Micah chapter 7 and verse 8. Notice the words of this. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Now stay there with me and let me draw you closer to let you understand what's going on here. This man, Micah, this prophet is again to the northern kingdom. And he's going up and he's saying, listen to the northern kingdom. The Lord has sent me to tell you to turn from your wicked ways. The Lord has sent me to tell you that judgment is around the corner. The Lord has sent me to tell you his wrath is upon you. To turn, to repent, to change your mind, to turn on to him. And notice what he says here. He says in verse 8, When I fall, I shall rise. God always shows us his mercy before his judgment. God always shows us grace throughout his doings and his dealings with people. God is so good and he's so gracious with us that God, when he looks upon us, it's like the prophet said, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And God says, you're not my people you're like Gomer, Hosea's wife. You have, a, you have treated me wrong. You have cast out my law. You have called my name by another name. You have put up idols and statues. You bow before them. He says, you worship other gods. You worship other things. You have not got that Hebraic Israelite culture which the Lord hath set in the midst of you. He says, and for that, I will allow the heathen to overcome you. I will allow the heathen to come upon you. Friend, I have something to tell you. That's what's happening to Britain tonight. That's what's happening to the British Isles tonight. God has seen that this nation which once stood for the word of God, 
which was built on the word of God, which had the law of the Lord, and the law, Lord, law of the Lord was that foundation on which all our laws sprang from. Even our farming laws come from the Bible. Even our eating habits comes from the Bible. Even our dealings one with another would come from the Bible. And now it's called a storybook. It's a troublemaking book. It's an accursed thing to all in our nation. And the Lord is allowing the heathen to overrule us in all our nation and land. That's what's wrong with these British Isles of ours. We need to turn back to the Lord who formed us. We need to turn back to the Lord in the church. The church has become so ritualized. The church has become so denominationalized. The church has become so heathenized and paganized that it's buying at idols. It's ecumenizing one with the other. It's bringing in every single idolatry, idolatrous system all together to worship one with the other. When I tell you something, I don't know if you've ever heard of the man Alf Ackman. Has anybody ever heard of that Swedish pastor? No? Alf Ackman is the biggest, had the biggest Swedish Pentecostal church in the land, and most of Europe actually. Massive mega church for Sweden. He just recently stood down, denounced the gospel, and joined the Church of Rome. Thousands watching him. Thousands. Joel Osteen's the same. I told you last week. He's been the same. I'll bring you more on this some other time. Here, our nation, our nation, our peoples have come under the darkness of that shroud again of this Islamic system, of secularism, of this multicultural faithism, Our nation has come under a shroud of God's church and their lazyism, if there's ever a word. All the comforts in the church are causing Christ's church, causing Christ's blood-washed church to languish back and sleep and slumber while darkness covers the face of these islands. Here we have the Lord saying to the house of Israel. Here's the Lord saying to you and I, to our nation tonight. The Lord says, you will fall. But if you look to me, you shall rise. And Christian, maybe you've fallen even in your walk. If you look to him, you shall rise. He's full of grace and he's full of mercy. Notice what Micah the prophet says. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. In other words, he knows. He knows there's a place that the nation was sitting in. Depravity and sin and darkness and godlessness. And all the things to do with the God who brought them forth out of Egypt and across the wilderness and who had formed them and made them and fashioned them. That same God who fed them and blessed them and protected them and encouraged them. That same God, it seems as if he means nothing to them anymore. And he's pushed out of the road. And the only thing that is of pure light of Almighty God himself is put out of the nation and from among the people and darkness fills the land. 
God says, the heathen shall rule over you. You're no longer the head. You'll become the tail, he says. And Britain has become from the head of the height of the empire of Victoria when she was asked by an Indian prince, what is the secret of Britain's greatness? And she lifted up the word of God and she says, that is the secret of Britain's greatness. Preached from every pulpit. Preached from every corner. Listen to in every filled pew. People living out the gospel in their life and the word of God. And so when we have went from the head as God said we would to the very tail. And now the tail is wagging the dog. The tail is wagging the dog. Notice this. It says, when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. In other words, this will come. Be sure it will come. Because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause. And executeth judgment, notice, for me. He pleads, he executes the judgment for me. He will bring me forth into the light and I shall behold his righteousness. What is the prophet speaking of here? Israel are taken away by, by, by uh, the Syrian kings and they're, they're never returned again. But what is this that the prophet is speaking of here? He's speaking of the gospel of saving grace that would come when Christ would die on the cross and shed his blood. Speaking of, he will plead my cause. Who shall plead the cause of the house of Israel? Jesus will plead our cause. Who will plead the cause of his people? Jesus will plead the cause. Who will execute judgment for his people? Jesus bore our sin and the Father poured out his wrath upon him on the cross. The cross of Christ is executed judgment for you and me. That you and I would be saved and forgiven of our sin. What a great and glorious gospel this is. He will execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth into light. Notice, he will, who will? Jesus will. Jesus came to my life. Jesus came into our our pit of despair. Jesus came into our addiction. Jesus came in and broke the chains. Jesus came and took the keys. Jesus came and set the prisoner free. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus only, amen? Praise the name of the Lord. Here the prophet says, you'll go, but he will come and he will do it all. You see, salvation is off the Lord. Salvation is off the Lord. Completely, fully, totally, unreservedly, salvation is off the Lord and not of you. You and I are safe when we are saved. You and I are secure when we are in Christ. For salvation has been wrought by him and not by you and me. Is not a wonderful, a great, and a glorious gospel? Here, notice what he says. He, he will bring me forth into light, and I shall behold his righteousness. I can stand this for a week. There's a sermon on every line there. He'll bring me forth, and I'll behold his righteousness. 
out of that sin, out of the mire, out of the pit, out of alcoholism, out of drug addiction, out of prostitution, out of whatever it is, out of denominationalism, out of religion. He says, he calls me into his marvelous light and I behold his righteousness. Well, I'm a good person, there's my righteousness. And I do good works, there's my righteousness. And I give to the church, there's my righteousness. And I do this out of the I wrap doors and ask people to church and I drive a bus and that's my righteousness. Listen, folks, our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. We are clothed in his righteousness when we behold him and him alone. When we behold Jesus and realize in our own breasts and in our own heart that only the righteousness of Christ upon us is the only righteousness we can have. There is no other righteousness. I want to skip this and move on a little, but let your eye run down, please, to verse 12 of Micah 7. In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria. Here is the judgment meted out. The Assyrians coming from Assyria and from the fortified cities and from the fortress even to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain, notwithstanding the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of their doings. He says the Assyrians coming, judgment is round the corner. It's like Noah Noah build an ark, the flood is coming. Noah preaches, he's a preacher of righteousness and people laugh at him, mock him to scorn. Until the flood came, Jesus says, and took them all away. Until the Assyrian came and took them all away. Until they were scattered throughout the land, forming our nations in the world. This gospel goes forward. We're born again of the Spirit after receiving the word of God and God says that he would say to them that were not merciful, that had not obtained mercy, I will say to them they were not my people, thou art my people and thou and I and I art my and they shall say thou art my God. Now this darkness to light I don't know if I'm gonna have time and maybe gonna need another night not next week, but the week after, because we're not here next Sunday night. Maybe the week after, if God wills it. But this darkness delight, I want to look at it, we'll wrap this up, because I think that's plenty free to take in. There's the whole gospel encapsulated. And here he comes and shows us his, right, his righteousness. He takes us, he saves us, he does it all for us. And we just receive him and accept him. Turn with me, if you will, just to Isaiah 42, please. Just a few, ver- a few verses and we'll round it up. Praise the Lord. If I go into the rest of it, I know that it will only be far too long to try and get it finished. So we'll do one more night in a couple of weeks' time. Isaiah 42. And just let your eye just run down briefly to... Uh, Verse 5, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness. Now notice the language, in righteousness. 
I will hold thine hand. I will keep thee and give thee for a covenant to the people for a light to the Gentiles. See the word Gentiles is the word again, nations. And here we're talking about scattered Israel. First of all, would hear that. And I will give thee for a light. Notice, you will be the light. To the Gentiles, notice, to open the blinded eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison, from the prison, and to them that, notice the language, sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Herein lies a wonderful truth for us. That he says, you will be in darkness when you're scattered. You will be in gross darkness when the land is covered. But you will be in darkness because you'll not know yourself. You'll be in darkness because you'll be away from me. You'll be in darkness, spiritual darkness and literal darkness where you live. He says, that's where you will be. But notice what he says here in verse 7. That he would not only be a light to them, but to open the blind eyes. To bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now folks, here's something I want to show you when we go back to Micah. Micah chapter 7. The Lord says there are those, he says, they'll sit in spiritual darkness. They'll sit in literal darkness. The word here for darkness is the same word which Micah uses. Micah chapter 7, please. And verse 8. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And the word here is the word yeshat. Yeshat. And it means simply means to dwell or to inhabit darkness. In other words, you're scattered and you where you dwell. It's a place where God's glory at this time was only in a little temple in the middle of Jerusalem. God's, the knowledge of God's glory in the whole of the earth was only in a little 12 foot by 12 foot cube inside that, which was the tabernacle, then the temple. And God's glory came there and only there. For he says to Moses at the mercy seat, I will meet you there and speak there unto thee. That's why they went to Jerusalem. But when the gospel comes, Christ says to the woman in John 4, and when she, he's sitting at the well, he says, Their time is coming and now is when they that worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. In other words, you'll not go to Jerusalem and you won't go up to the high groves and the hills and worship your idols, but the spirit will be in you and you'll be a living temple, lively stones, and you'll be fitly framed together to house the Holy Ghost. That's what it means. In other words, God won't be coming to the temple. God is coming to a new temple. That is the body of Christ, who is you and me. Now I notice this. This is important. The word darkness means to inhabit, to dwell. They dwelt across wastelands, if you want, then, for where we know as Europe now, many of them. And as they dwelt there and they moved and they migrated, and then they camped again and whatever way they formed really and went on with it, they were in gross darkness. 
Spiritual darkness and literal darkness. That's the word. It's the word yeshat that means to dwell or to inhabit complete darkness. Come with me to Luke chapter 1, please. We're almost finished. Luke chapter 1. And notice what is said here in Luke chapter 1. Put your eye run down. Zacharias, the angel appears to him, tells him his wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. Speaking of John the Baptist, and let your eye run down. Luke chapter 1 and verse, excuse me, uh, verse 36. Now child shall be, 76 rather, sorry, pardon me. And now child shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people, and the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Notice, to give light to them that sit. Notice the words, that sit in darkness. It's the same language. We're in the Greek here, not the Hebrew, because it's from the Old and New Testament. But never mind. To sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Notice the language of John the Baptist's ministry here. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God. Isn't that beautiful? Through the tender mercy of our God. I'll say it again so you can catch it. Because that's what's reached you. The tender mercy of our God reached you. The tender mercy of our God spoke comfortably. Jeremiah 16 and 16, remember, the Lord says, I will speak comfortably unto them. The word is, I will speak to the or to the heart, to the conscience, to the mind, to the inner man and the woman. I will speak comfortable words. And what is the comfortable words? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What are these comfortable words? These comfortable words is the gospel of saving grace. The comfortable words is, even as the angel said, that through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. In other words, the fountain of all living became flesh and died on a cross to redeem us it's not a great and glorious gospel and what's it for to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace peace perfect peace the peace of God in the redeemed heart knowing their sins are forgiven so we are called out of darkness And into God's marvelous light. We are saved. We're redeemed. We're born again. We've received mercy. We're sons and daughters of the living God. We're blood washed and we're blood bought. We're spirit filled. Remember we are good seed. The word scattered here means to handful of grain and to throw it in a direction. Or else to throw it in the air that the chaff would blow in the wind. And the heavy grain would fall to the ground to be gathered into the garner. Christ has scattered them out in order to reap in and redeem in, to gather in, into Christ's garner. And you and I are the seed. You and I are the wheat of Almighty God, for we are the sons of God and the daughters of God. This great and glorious gospel is the good seed gathered into Christ's garner. This is the kingdom of God on earth. 
kingdom of God on earth. I finish with this. We'll start here in the Lord's will in two weeks. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Why are we kept by God? Why are we saved? Why have we been forgiven? Why has he done it all? Not only because we could not do it all. We were depraved in our nature. It's the inability to save ourselves. Notice what it says here in verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you. Think about that, brother. Why are you saved, sister? Why are you all of this? That you should show forth the praises of him who called you. Did you praise him tonight? Are you showing forth the praise? Look, I know people say, you know, when you're praising, you don't need to be demonstrative. True. But if my children come to me and say to me, like a robot and stand looking at me with their heart, two arms of one length and hardly moving their mouth, saying, Daddy, do you know why I love you? I'm going to say, well, try telling your face it, love. <laughs> Aren't you? When they come to me with a smile on their face and their hands in the air and say, Daddy, I love you. I love you too. I love you too. Come here, they give you a big hug. I lift them up. I lift them up. I bring them into myself. Showing forth the praises is show forth his excellencies. To declare his excellencies. To shout his glory. For he has brought us from darkness marvelous light in the Lord's will I'm going to show you what that word darkness means I'm going to show you a couple of examples of that darkness I'm going to show you the marvelous light I'm going to show you what it all means and we'll tie it up and the Lord bless you we're going to go home folks